0: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: Hi, my name's Tim Ballard, and I was just on the Story Box Podcast with Jay.
2: Welcome everyone to this story box. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful they're here today. Let's journey into this story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. everyone welcome back to the i just want to give you guys a quick disclaimer before we dive into who is on the podcast today but this episode may have some very sensitive content in there due to the subject matter that we're going to be discussing and it's a very hard conversation for a lot of you to actually hear but it is a very needful one and i've wanted to have this conversation and i've wanted to spread awareness on this particular issue for a long period of time and it finally happened. And I am extremely grateful for the work that my guest does and all his all his team members. So I hope that you guys listen in with uh, an attentive ear and a heart that is open to uh, really acknowledge what is going on and also a willingness to help in whatever way that you possibly can. So my friends, my next guest is none other than Tim Ballard, the founder and CEO of Operation Underground Railroad or OUR for short. He also serves as OUR's jump team commander for rescue operations. Tim began his career at the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, where he worked cases dealing with terrorism and Latin America. He has worked he has spent over a decade working as a special agent for the Department of Homeland Security, where he has where he was assigned to the internet crimes against uh, against children task force and deployed As an undercover operative for the U.S. child sex tourism jump team, he has worked every type of case imaginable in the fight to dismantle child trafficking rings. Tim has worked undercover in the United States and in multiple foreign countries to infiltrate child trafficking organizations. In this effort, he has successfully dismantled dozens of these organizations and rescued countless children from sex slavery. He is an expert at managing internet investigations, particularly those dealing with file share networks where pedophiles and traffickers go to trade in child pornography. He has trained hundreds of law enforcement officers at home and abroad in best practices to liberate children from sex slavery. Tim has been featured on many national news outlets to discuss his efforts to combat child trafficking, but he needs your help. He needs all of us to band together right now and share this important message to help bring down these organizations that traffic many, millions, not not hundreds, not a few, but millions of kids, all, all for what? All for the sake of sex slavery, organ harvesting, you name it. It is absolutely disgusting. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation to help bring an end to help do my part to bring an end to this vile and wicked atrocity that is happening in our world today. Do not be blind. Do not be fooled. There are forces out there. There are works going on uh, that most of us need to be made aware of, especially this issue in particular. And I hope that you guys can Feel challenged enough that you will share this episode around, not for fame's sake, not for anything like that, but for the fact that this person's message, Tim is a hardworking individual who cares a lot about uh, bringing these organizations down and saving the lives of countless kids. I mean, he, he he works tirelessly with his team, so the least we can do, and he actually goes into this during the conversation, the biggest challenge for him and his team is that people won't share. And that that is that people need to share this. They need to get on board. I know it is hard to hear. I know it is hard to actually have a conversation around, believe you me, but it is so important. Stop sharing all the rubbish out there and start sharing this. This is more important. This is a human life that imagine if you were put in this position for a moment. I mean I can't and I'm someone that has experienced sexual abuse but these these young people are experiencing it on a daily repeat basis millions of them I don't know how much I need to say I I I don't apologize for getting passionate I I want I hope and I pray that each and every one of you will have the heart to share this episode around with your friends and your family. Please, please, please. And while you're at it, if you want to watch uh, the full episode on YouTube instead of listening, then I would highly encourage you to go and do that now. It's over on YouTube. All the links are in the show notes below as well. You can check out Facebook and Instagram to follow along for more information as well. But get behind them. Get behind Operation Underground Railroad. Get behind Tim Ballard help to do your bit, uh, please. So, But you know what time it is, my friends. It is time to dive into the story box and hear the very challenging story, but also uplifting
1: story of Tim
2: Ballard. Thank
1: you. So good to be here.
2: It's it's really great to have you here, Tim. I've actually wanted to have this conversation with you for quite some time. I've known for a while that it's going to be a difficult conversation because of the topic and the nature of, of the conversation. But I also know that it's a very needful conversation that needs to be had. So I appreciate your time today. Before we dive into all this, all this stuff and how you got started doing it, I have one question that I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like for you?
1: Well, there's two things come to mind. There's kind of a a, a a micro answer to that, which every life that we see liberated from a life of slavery, it's like, I can't think of a greater success in, in terms of just feeling that fulfillment and um, and everyone counts. Every single one counts. I always tell people after a rescue, like we just got back a couple weeks ago and we were able to help. We got um, two little girls, seven to nine years old, who were in the hands of this horrible American pedophile who was hiding out overseas and we helped the the police out there. I can't get into more details than that right now, but I said, Would we not do all of this? If everything we've done only resulted in this, would it be would, would our would our project have been successful? And the answer is, is yes. We had several survivors actually um, who were, who were lured and taken and forced into sex slavery in another country. And they're now um, healing here in the United States. We were able to get visas for them and they're here healing. And I brought them, they wanted to meet some of the office. Everyone's in tears. And, you know, we've been lucky, lucky enough to help uh, over 5,000 survivors get out of, of, of different forms of slavery. And I asked the team that question. If all we ever did was help these 10 survivors get out of the sex slavery they were in, would you have all done it? Mm. If That's the only success we had. And the answer through tears was yes. And so there's that element of success where it's just, if you can just touch the life of one person, and that was the only thing you ever did, whether it's fighting, trafficking, or whatever it is you're doing. But if you can help one person to significantly change their lives and put them help get them on a new course of freedom where they were in some form of bondage or whatever. Um, that is full success because that's the, that's the value of every soul. Mm. Now, if I'm, if I'm answering that question from like the boardroom, <laughs> what does success look like? Um, statistically speaking, again, it's, a, it's awesome that we've been able to help law enforcement liberate over 5,000 survivors, but, There's also somewhere between 30 and 40 million people enslaved. 10 million of those are sex slavery, mostly women and children, and 2 million of those are just children in the commercial sex trade. So what's 5,000 relative to that? Well, statistically, that's a drop in the bucket. And again, not to sound cold-hearted or that the one doesn't matter, they do. Mm. But if you're talking about true success in terms of eradicating this, um, we can't do it alone. We can't do it. No foundation. In fact, I would say no government, no agency, no one group can do this alone. Um, It's going to take the entire world to stand up and decide what it is they can do. And if everyone does that, then we can end. Mm -hmm. And the key to that success, frankly, is, is storytelling. (laughs) is really it's, it's getting people to know that it's even there and then have them ask the question, what, what can I do? And it might not be helping us. It might be helping another organization that's local to where they are or whatever it is, but this is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. This is the buying and selling of human beings is in terms of sheer numbers is the highest it's ever been in the history of the world. Mm. So we better make it a priority. Success would be to eradicate it completely, to eradicate the practice. The laws have, have eradicated it. That's step one. Um, a lot of people live under a false sense of security. Slavery is dead because it's illegal. No, it's alive because there's criminals. <laughs> and they are, they've brought this number to a place it's never been before in terms of numbers. So success looks like eradicating it, if I answer in, in, in that sense. And we need everybody to help us do that.
2: Do you believe that it is in your lifetime, at least, or even in the, in the future, do you believe that it is actually going to happen that we eradicate slavery and that we eradicate this, this atrocity in the first place?
1: I, people think I'm naive for saying this, but I, I do think that in, in our lifetime, we can see the end of child sex slavery. Um, And truly the 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 formula and the model that we've seen is is deterrence is the is is the name of 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 the solution because we work in countries where sometimes it's the first time as we work with them, it's the first operation they have done uh, to to combat this form of slavery in their countries. But what we notice is if they can continue to do it, long after we're gone and we just help them with getting the tools they need or whatever the missing piece they need. Maybe it's just one computer. Maybe they need some undercover operators who have vast experience, who can go in and be that American sex tourist, because that's who the clients are. The United States were the number one demand for child sex videos, um, child exploitation material in the world. So um, sometimes they need that. Sometimes they, in some places we've built uh, labs, provided equipment, training, Anything to help them to prosecute, to make an example out of those who would dare hurt children, now you create this deterrent effect. Um, I believe it was the queen of Sweden who had this idea years ago that every um, convicted child sex offender would have their pictures posted up on the billboards all throughout the, the land. And she virtually ended it. Mm -hmm. because it was that deterrent effect go somewhere else. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So deterrence works and it's really the only way, but the problem is there's so many law enforcement agencies who don't have the resources they need. So many aftercare agencies that don't have the resources they need. So we're working to get them more resources. Well, but we don't, we don't have limitless amounts. So what's the answer again, it's the stories. It's people like you, Jay, who are willing to tell the stories and get loud because when the people get loud, then the government's respond and say, we better make sure that we have the best law enforcement response and aftercare response to child trafficking and exploitation. And that's when you start increasing prosecutions, making examples of people and scaring the market, scaring the black market. So it's too risky to, to enter that market, whether as a seller or a buyer.
2: I have to agree with you on the power of stories. They, they're within us all. They have the power to move nations. And that's one of the reasons why I love them so much. They have the potential to do two things. One, it can go the opposite direction and it can cause a lot of damage or it can cause a lot of good. And I love the message and the stories, even though some of them, you hear them and you just, you hurt for that person going through that real story. And you, you can't help but wanting to actually do something about it with the limited resources that you actually do have. And I appreciate, I like guess from my point of view, the stories that I have heard you tell. I've cried in, in honest realness because I can't understand why someone would hurt a child. And I guess my question to you, Tim, would be why... In, in your experience and what you've learned undercover or just by dealing with people that do this, why do people hurt children like that?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. And, and let's first, let's first give a little context to that question. Mm. Uh, if there's 2 million children, which according to most, you know, you know, state department, UN, that's, that's the estimate for how many children are forced into commercial sex. If you consider that number, we should ask ourselves, what kind of demand justifies that number? How many people that want to have sex with children have to exist for there to be 2 million in the black market? So there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of people. Um, why? Why do that many people want to engage in sex with children? And in, in my career, I've learned that there's there's two main reasons. One, it can be, it's people that that um, there's something just in their brain that's that's been, that there's a wire off, right? And sometimes that uh, tragically happens when that person was abused as a child, sexually abused as a child, and then their brain tells them this is what sex is there's a neural pathways have been created right over their years of abuse so that when they become adults that neural pathway is alive and active and it says i'm supposed to now engage with sex in sex with a child so that's one and then there's another one and those tend to be cases where the children are even very very young um there's other examples and they're largely anecdotal but there's a lot of science behind it as well um if you look up uh um, FightTheNewDrug.org. It's an org- organization uh, that, that talks about the science behind this other reason, and that is um, ex- uh, se- sexually ex- exploitative material, or or even you know what people would just call pornography, like the legal stuff. Um, when people become addicted to that, it starts a process in their brain where the the their their um their frontal lobes are overexposed. And actually can create shrinkage of the brain to where their brain's not working right. The sexual part of their brain isn't working right because they've overdone it. And now it's like taking marijuana so much that you stop feeling the effects. The brain isn't producing the the, the levels of dopamine and endorphins that it used to during a sexual experience. Um, Because they're over, they're just again they're running. They're over. They're overheating their entire system, right? So with with the mass amounts of porn, so then they have to jumpstart the system because they're addicted to that dopamine that their brain produces. So they will try to shock their system by looking at anything crazier, anything younger, anything, and oftentimes they start going lower and lower. You know, seventeen years old, fifteen years old, fourteen years old, Um, and ultimately. Uh, there they are abusing children, not only abusing them indirectly through creating the demand that creates the child exploitation material, but become oftentimes become that contact offender. So the more I, and and this is controversial and, and I don't, I, I can't even say I can prove it a hundred percent, but it's my opinion that the more pornified we become or desensitized to, 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 sexually stimulating material that's just out there especially when our youth get this stuff the the more likely there is going to be a sex addiction and that could lead to the abuse of children controversial people won't want to hear that but in my experience and and again there's science solid science like i think conclusive science to back up that that is how the brain functions dr don hilton who's a neurosurgeon in texas he's one of the leading voices on this and has written a lot of literature, scientific literature about this. You can find it at fightthenewdrug.org.
2: I've actually written about this very thing, the porn epidemic, and what it actually does neurologically to the brain. So I appreciate you uh, saying where it actually can lead to. Like I wrote about it in my, in my new book. And the reason why I did that, because I struggle with porn addiction from the age of 12 up until the age of uh, 22. Now it was it was a problem that I had, but I noticed I had that desensitization to it and I had all these these disgusting thoughts travel through my brain and I always thought why have I got these thoughts traveling through my brain when before I even started watching porn, I didn't even have them and it's such a it's a huge industry i think i was looking at statistics the other day it's a multi-billion dollar industry and they're they're funding i believe at least and i don't know if you can you can um clarify this they're funding a lot of that sex trafficking um i don't know if it's that's accurate or not i wonder if you can shed some light in in your experience and what you've looked at and what you've you've
1: seen if the if the porn industry is funding it?
2: Yeah, if they're helping to fund child sex slavery and trafficking and, and if they're behind it at all.
1: Um, I, don't, I don't have any evidence that they're directly paying, you know, to, to have that happen. Um, I know that there's a lot of survivors who will tell you, and I believe them, that they have they were exploited and trafficked into the industry. And there's no question that that, that that is ha- happening. So I guess in, in a way I'd say, yes. Um, I don't know that I could paint the entire industry with that, with that brush, but are, are there, um, cases where they traffic women and children to create the material? Of course, especially the children, It's obvious. They're, if they're creating the material, then they've trafficked them to do it or, or exploited them to do it. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's at the very best, a, a, a good connection there.
2: So I want to go back a little bit. I appreciate you sharing that. Go back a little bit to how you got started in this, uh, this organization or, or this mission, really, and why in the first place. So how and why you got
1: started. So I kind of fell into it accidentally. I started working the child crimes back in the early 2000s i was an agent with homeland security and and was introduced to to this this particular criminal activity and asked to join a child crimes group which i was very hesitant to do um ended up doing it of course and and it was even worse than i imagined mm-hmm. uh, unbelievable amounts of child exploitation material and most of the cases we dealt with were they're not 17 year olds and 16 year olds, people think. Generally, law enforcement doesn't have time to focus on that when there are so many prepubescent children or 10, 9, 8, 7, younger. Um, and it's not a little bit, it's a lot. It's it's tens of thousands that are transferred and shared every day. Um, I, I think I saw a stat recently that in the last like four or five years, it's the the, the amount of child. Sexual exploitation material has increased by something like five thousand percent. So it's it's definitely filling this horrific demand that exists in the world. And um, but anyway, so I, I started I got into that, and then in two thousand six, I worked through these child crimes my entire career um, until I re, I left the government at two th- in two thousand thirteen. And the reason was in 2006, the laws changed in the United States. And for the first time, U.S. agents were sent overseas to hunt down American sex tourists. Mm. And we could actually start holding them accountable for the acts they committed against children overseas as if they had committed that crime in the United States. So it was a very, very revolutionary law. And, And so we started doing that. I started increasing my work overseas. Did, did undercover operations in in several countries in the United States, but, but outside the United States too, looking for that nexus. But oftentimes we couldn't find the nexus, the connection back to, you know, the, the, the American criminal, yeah. we always found the children though. And so that got me thinking, you know, a lot of these cases, I start to work, I can't do anything about it because I don't have the jurisdiction to do it. So it was a jurisdictional limitation and I had this idea, well, what if we started to um, you know what if i what if I was a private organization right that had no jurisdiction limitation? We could be in Bangkok on Monday and Colombia on Friday providing whatever resources are needed to fight this crime there was a there was just an amazing lack of resources that were being dedicated at that time, especially and still today to this problem, so that was kind of the uh that was kind of the case that, or the, the reason, and there was even there was a couple of specific cases that I had tried to make U.S. cases. One was in Haiti, and the other one was in Colombia. Those were two cases I was, I was working or trying to work as a U.S. agent, but couldn't find the nexus, even though we had connected to the sources and the we thought we could rescue over 100 kids in Colombia uh, with the Colombian police. And I was just down there to do a consulting and training and eventually we turned it into a real case, but we couldn't do anything. I couldn't help or bring the resources because it was outside the jurisdiction. So that was, those two cases kind of were the things that pushed me over the edge and compelled me to uh, to realize the idea that we, that I had had, or that we had had, my wife and I, about a nonprofit dedicated to bringing these tools everywhere in the world. So that's what got us launched in 2013. And we started slow in just a couple of countries. And we have since grown tremendously thanks to the generous support of so many. And today we are in uh, over 20 states in the United States providing resources, providing um, very cool tools like digital forensic capability, uh, canine units that sniff out digital media they can take on, on child exploitation material warrants and they can sniff out little SD cards that are hiding wherever Um, we are in 20 over 20 countries where we provide the same um, equipment training and even undercover work as is requested. We are not a vigilante group. We we only work under the jurisdiction and the authority of the host country. Mm.
2: You mentioned at the beginning that you were sort of hesitant to actually join that particular team. Why were you hesitant in the first place? And secondly, this is uh, a question regarding the resources that you mentioned. There was lack of it. Why was there a a lot of lack in this area?
1: So uh, the reason for the lack of resources, I believe, was just the lack of awareness, you know, we go to countries or even we've even been in cities in the United States where they said, we don't really think it's happening here. And then we are able to show them, go online and do other things to show them, oh, my gosh, it is happening in abundance here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's an interesting crime because it's, um, it requires a proactive response. The child crimes generally don't fall in your lap. They don't just fall on your desk and say, oh, here, sometimes, but generally it's so it's, it requires proactive work to dig it out and to find it because it is, of course, it's very, very hidden. Um, And, and children are often coerced to not talk. And so you, you've got to be proactive. That's why some of the digital forensic tools and training we provide help law enforcement get there and find it online investigation training and so forth. Um, So that's one reason there haven't been the resources there is because oftentimes countries don't realize or jurisdictions wherever don't realize that there's that big of a problem. And in countries where they're developing and they don't have just, they just by nature don't have big budgets. They've got to respond to the reactive crime, the murders, the robberies, the things that happen that they, that the the media is there, they have to respond. So, Oftentimes what gets sacrificed first are the proactive investigative units because, you know, why create more work when we have more than we can deal with? So those kids lose out. So we come in and help them augment their proactive units that focus on human trafficking and child exploitation. Mm. (sighs)
2: So how do you go about convincing I guess a government body or a country that they do actually have a problem when they've, I guess they've been naive all the time. Like, how do you go about telling them, Hey, this is an issue?
1: Well, we, it's all about building the right partners, the personal side. And we sit down and, and we make it very clear. Like we're not here to run anything. We have zero authority or desire for authority in your country. We just want to support you and, and you don't even have to acknowledge that we helped you. Uh, Oftentimes they'd rather not acknowledge that they worked with us, a nonprofit, a private organization. That's fine. What do you need? Um, And sometimes we'll, we'll bring reports, you know, we'll show them, look, you know, there here's, there's this many reports in your region. Um, We sometimes come with leads already. But uh it takes that willing spirit who cares and says, I'm willing to work overtime, I'm willing to 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 do this. And it, it can take in some countries, it's taken years really to establish a relationship where where they're willing to admit that and that there's an issue because it's everywhere. It's not a it's not a, a a scarlet letter for any one country. It literally exists everywhere. The United States was just ranked in the top three for destination countries. So it's not just developing countries either. Um uh, but, uh, but oftentimes there's a stigma of, we can't work with a private organization. And so sometimes it's hard that we got to get over that hurdle and just say, well, then don't acknowledge it, but just help take our heart, take our help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, and oftentimes in, in some places we've gone where there's a high sex tourism income, I'm talking like, you know, what they would consider legal uh, adult sex industry that, that, that drives a lot of the tourism, which is sometimes the lifeblood of certain countries. Mm. Uh, And so you find people that say, we don't want to go in and break it up. And so then you got to convince them, no, look, we're only looking for the children, we're not doing anything to that part, you know, so it's, it can take some convincing and and years of knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our, our job's gotten easier in terms of getting into countries um, because, you know, even between we started in 2013. So even between 2013 and now there is been, there has been a, an increase quite a bit, an increase of awareness of this problem. And it's not where it needs to be yet until there's a headline every day on on mainstream media saying that there's this many children in slavery for sl- for sex labor or organ harvesting. To me, that should be the headline every day until we've solved it. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately it's, it's rarely a headline, but at least we're talking about it more. Mm.
2: Yeah. I have noticed because of what you're, what you're doing, a lot more people are talking about it. It is a very difficult conversation to have uh, sadly and, I'm I'm curious about. I'm wondering if you can educate my audience a little bit about what to look out for, uh, or report, and try to um, on the internet or someone that actually has been involved with this at all. How how can we how can we educate the general public or just people in general about what's going on and how to I guess report it.
1: So, uh, people, it's it's just it's just a matter of watching enough content, videos uh, that explain documentaries that explain it. You can find some of that with us. There's a documentary about us called Operation Two Saint, which is on Amazon, which people should go watch. It it, it explains a lot of how this is. Once people are kind of converted to the idea that they want to fight it, then they start seeing it. You know, they'll they'll be more aware when they see a child that just looks like something's wrong, something's off, they don't belong with this person. Um, they're, they're, there's there's no like absolute signs, of course, to to determine, but the more people that are even looking and thinking this, something's off. And I notice when people start learning about, start working with us in any capacity, they start seeing things they never saw before and report it, report it to the police. It, it may seem like nothing, but it may be the final piece of some bigger puzzle that the police need to, to rescue that child.
2: What motivates you, Tim, every single morning to get up, to go to work, to do this sort of work in the first place? And, and what do you do if you ever get tired and need re-energizing?
1: I think probably the, the number one motivator is my own children. Um, we I have two children that we adopted from Haiti. They were children that were actually rescued in one of OUR's first operations. They were being sold. Um, they hadn't been bought by any pedophiles yet. So the the severe form of abuse had never happened, but they were forced sale. And we ended up um, working with the police to do a, a sting buy operation, which gave them the evidence to take the, the whole place down. It was a false orphanage that was selling children. So those are my children now. They're home with us and I see them every day. and Every time I see them, I can't help but remember how many are still there. My my son, uh, who's from Haiti, he is um, nine years old, and he loves to pray. He he always volunteers to say the the prayer, you know, before bed, and always. And we've never coached him on this, but he always says, "Please bless those children in Haiti who are not who have not been adopted." help them to be to be adopted and it's just every time makes me want to cry because he remembers being there and um he wants them to all have the opportunities that he has and that and and that helps drive us drive me personally Mm -hmm. that it's worth it this one one more trip is worth it um and uh it also motivated a project that we have at OUR called CNF children need families. It's a project of under OUR that my wife actually created. And what it does is it helps to fund adoptions out of high trafficking areas. There's places around the world where if you're an orphan there, the chances of you being exploited or trafficked are more likely than, than not, than not happening. And the best way to ensure that preventative action is to, Find families who will adopt, get them out of those orphanage systems, which often are not safe. Um, and so that's what Children Need Families does. And we're, we're always looking for families who are willing to adopt. And some of the biggest hurdles, the biggest hurdle is financial. It's very expensive. And we will come in with that grant to help that family bring a child home from any number of of, of high trafficking areas. Mm. It, it's not any. It's not from anywhere. We don't do domestic adoptions. It, it, it's tied to their mission it's a preventative work to to get kids safe before something happens
2: what is the the most difficult challenge you are currently facing with OUR or with um the Nazarene fund
1: I think um I think it's just getting the word out. There's still so many people who don't know it's real. Mm. So it's, that's the biggest challenge is is trying to get a bigger voice, tell more stories, help people get involved. Uh, And then of course, managing the thousands that want to get involved and making sure they have something to do. So we're always working on, on that. And we have some amazing solutions coming out soon about how to, how to help people help the cause in, in a more streamlined and easier way. So, I, I think those are some of the challenges that we're that we're uh, tackling right now.
2: Now, Tim, you are a person of faith, and I, I love that about your person and, and your character. And you still you still do this. And first, my first question to you would be. Um, how did you become a person of faith? And my next question is, you've seen some pretty insane things and you've witnessed and experienced it. And I'm curious about what has that taught you about God and has that challenged your faith in him at all?
1: So it's a great question because I see so many people who lose their faith over this. They see this. These crimes against children, and they ask themselves, "How can God exist? Mm. If He exists, He would never let this child be raped over and over again, even leading to that child's death. I mean, it's it's that horrific. Mm. We're, we're we're working a case right now where there's certain parts of the world where witch doctrine is alive and well, and we're literally working a case right now where." as early as last week, there was a child's head was severed from their body f- because of this. And we're, uh, we're helping that law enforcement group right now, literally right now as we speak, but um, how would God let that happen? And so how can you still believe in him? And I don't have an answer for that except to say this, that the, my experience has been that the closer we get to the core of that criminal organization wherein lies that child somewhere, the more of God's spirit I feel. And it's interesting because I have people would ask me, how do you sit knee to knee and, and have these undercover conversations with these guys pretending to want the child and to, to buy this child and pretending to be that guy. And I couldn't honestly answer the question because the answer would make me look really crazy or dumb because the true answer was, I feel light when I'm in that dark place, but I, I didn't want to say that. Cause that made, well, what you like it. What do you mean? You feel light, but it took me some time to realize what I was feeling that. And this is my personal belief is that these children are surrounded by angels. I believe in angels. I believe in God. I believe in angels. And, and, and I know that those children who are suffering the most have the greatest access to those angelic presences who who provide comfort and help in god's love and so the closer we are getting to that that's what we're actually feeling is those angels god's spirit god's presence and so in a strange way though i can't answer the question and i probably won't ever be able to at least in mortality how god lets it happen other than he gives us all agency. He respects agency that much, but why not intervene?
2: Mm.
1: Because we, I know he's intervened other times. Why not that time? I'll never be able to answer that question, but I will be able to answer the fact, the, the, the question about God's existence and his love and his concern, because I have felt that in ways that are make it impossible for me to deny that I have felt God's love, presence, light, angels, with those children that we become exposed to. And so to me, it's only increased my faith that God is alive, he is well, he is active, he is intervening. And, and um, so my faith is only increased. Does that make sense? I know it's contradictory in some ways, but um, it, makes, it, it, it makes sense to me <laughs> why my faith has increased. Because getting the closer to abuse You're just getting closer to God because that's who he is.
2: Mm. It makes sense to me as well because I am a person of faith. I do believe in God. And I do believe that when you are going through a particular set of challenges like this, I do believe that he is there. We just can't see him. And one of my all-time favorite poems that comes to mind, especially with this, is Footprints in the Sand. It's when we couldn't see those two sets of footprints, he was carrying us along. And I get emotional every time I, I think of that that poem because it is very true. And I get the question as well, like you can't believe in God if you support this person. You can't believe in God if you, you are active in in this and that. And I'm like, why not? Like you can't you can definitely see the hand of God in every bad situation or good situation. He hasn't he he's not off the throne. He's still in control. It's just us that miss out on that opportunity, if that makes sense at all. Like we we're the ones with the faith problem oftentimes. We're the ones because we're flawed ultimately. So I appreciate you you sharing that that Tim. Have you always been a person of faith, or was there sort of like a moment in your life that you you found God and and uh, realized that He is real?
1: Well, I, I I was raised in a in a home that was very much a home of faith, mm. and uh, but of course you know everybody has to have their own conversion to believe, mm. so. Um, I, I started asking serious questions about the age of eight after high school, 18, 19. And, and I really started getting very strong. That, that's when I think I really developed a strong relationship with, with God and, and it's just grown since then.
2: And what have you noticed from when you first got saved about God's love compared to now, like for those people that are wondering, okay, what is God's love in the first place?
1: Are you able to share yeah I, I mean geez I could go on for for a long time on that the the, the difference is uh, it's a new paradigm it's a it's a new um perspective where I mean I it, it it can if you allow it to direct every decision you make um i found i found myself i found myself, when when deciding any difficult question, you know I I used to before I had my own kind of conversion experience. Any decision would be based on what what's going to bring me the most happiness and comfort. I'll choose the one that's going to bring me the most happiness, pleasure, entertainment, whatever. And I think that's what a lot of people do. But then I found myself asking a different question when I ever came to any fork in the road, large or small, and that is. How will, this decision, how will this decision affect the meeting I will inevitably have one day with my maker? Mm. I'm going to have to dis- explain to him why I took this road and not that road. And all of a sudden, the, the decisions become very clear. In fact, the, the decision to leave my job was very difficult to go from a very secure federal job to a very insecure job of, of, a, of a nonprofit. I had no savings. I had no retirement. Um, I, I would leave before I would get that retirement. Um, and I was scared to death to do that until I applied that question. Cause my wife and I had felt very strongly prompted to, to make this decision and to, to start this project. And when I started considering what will I say to my maker at the end when it's all over and it's going to be all over really relatively soon for all of us. Right. I mean, life, life goes quick. Uh, I don't want to sit and say, yeah, I know you, I know what I felt. I know what I felt you prompted me to do. Yes. And I didn't do it. Oh man. All of a sudden that, <laughs> that, that path that seemed like it was the better one to take all of a sudden is very dark and scary and the unknown path, which is right yeah. becomes one full of light. And it's just, it's just a matter of the question you ask. Is, am, I, am I doing this for my own good, my own pleasure, my own? Or am I considering the meeting I'll have with my makers someday and I want to be able to answer in a way that will make my eternity better? <laughs> eternity is a long time.
2: It's a very long time. <laughs> um, I'm curious, having said all that, if you could ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be, why, and what question would you want to ask them?
1: I probably I probably ask Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Um, I would ask him, how did you endure so much um, with your goal of his goal ultimately became to liberate the captive? Mm. That became his goal, beginning beginning about eighteen sixty two in the middle of the Civil War. How did you what what, what Caused you to stay in that fight under so much opposition. So many people didn't want him to be successful in that. Um, I think that'd be a valuable answer because there's so much opposition fighting this fight. Mm. There's so many people that don't want you to be successful, and not just the bad guys. The the supposed good guys. Mm. Sometimes they don't want us. They don't want to see people succeed. And and it'd be interesting, you know. He was the most hated president of all time that's hard for people to think because he's he's so he's so uh you know loved today in 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 our country but at the time half the country wished he was dead and the other half was split on him some most of the time right Mm -hmm. so he, he was the most hated and yet he endured because he believed he was willing to give his life to see people free so I'd like to know what that secret is. <laughs> it's
2: a very interesting question. A um, couple more questions for you, Tim, if you don't mind. We know that OUR does receive support from people all over the world, which is honestly incredible. And we were t- just talking before about how Australia uh, takes in a lot of the the young kids that you, you rescue, which is honestly amazing. And I recently heard about James Lawrence, or the Iron Cowboy, who's actually doing 100 triathlons in 100 uh, consecutive days, which is insane. Uh, start, he started in March the 1st, so it's a couple of days in already, um, to raise awareness for OUR. And how, so what type of this uh, dedication and support that James is actually doing for OUR, what does that mean? for you and your organization and how can more people get involved?
1: Well, that's, it's when someone's willing to do something like, like the iron Cowboys doing for us, right. It's, it's touching. It's, you know, fighting, fighting this crime is dark. It's a dark thing. And when I was in the government, it was mostly just dark because you couldn't talk about it. The one thing I didn't expect, the darkness was still there when we continue to fight this. But now it's it's we open this fight up to the public Mm. because that's part of the solution. And all of a sudden, I didn't I didn't realize how much good is in the world. And it's encouraging when you see people like the Iron Cowboy willing to stand up and, and be part of that light. And what I love about his example and how I'd answer your other question is how do people get involved? People come and say, what can I do? What can I do? And that's a, that's hard for me to answer. I, I don't know. I don't know what your availability is. I don't know what your set is. What I would like is you do, you figure it out. You tell us what you want to do and we'll facilitate it. Come up with your own inspiration and it'll be way more effective in the end. Mm. And, and that's what I appreciate people doing. That's what you've done, Jay, by inviting us on the show. That's what the iron Cowboys done as well. He came up with the idea and said, here's what we're going to do. So I had asked people, figure out what it is you can do. And if you have a really good idea, come to us and see how we can support it. Mm. And you can learn more about that and make contact with us at ourescue.org
2: And you've also got this movie coming out, sound of freedom with uh, Jim Caviezel, which is honestly really exciting to actually see um, when does that come out? And yeah.
1: COVID put a damper on the plans. It was supposed to come out last summer. I heard this morning that they are planning tentatively a theatrical release this summer. Awesome. But yeah, but they're still working out those details. I, you know, I, I, I don't have control of that. They just tell me what they want to tell me. And they said that that's, that's the case. So I, I hope we can look forward to it this summer,
2: mm, Me too. but it is all
1: done. It is done. And we've done some private screenings. And as soon as Australia lets me in, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll come to a screening with you.
2: I can't wait. Um, Tim, this is my my final question for you, my all time favorite one. It's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. So it's different to the sound of freedom. It's you and they put it together. Don't ask me how in the world they got it. We'll call it magic for the sake of an argument. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
1: I hope that it would show that our efforts, our joint efforts in this foundation, eradicated the buying and selling of children for sex. I hope that it could show the history that it no longer exists. We've made it, we meaning the entire community that's fighting against it, law enforcement leading the way, but that we have come together and provided solutions, resources, and a a plan that we can say it's no longer, children are no longer being bought and sold for sex or organ harvesting or slave labor. I would, I would hope that they would say that. And I would also hope that my children would be able to say, that even though dad was gone all the time, we felt like he wasn't because when he was here, he was so with us, so present, so loving. And I'm working on that one. That's a tough one. Um, But uh, if, if, if those two things were said, I'd, I'd die happy.
2: (laughs) I definitely watched that film, Tim. Thank you so much for honestly all that you're doing to eradicate this massive issue in our world today. Uh, with a little that I can do to support you, I, I just appreciate your time today and sharing your story and, and uh, your wisdom. So thank you so much for coming on the Story podcast today.
1: Thank you, Jay. It's been a pleasure.
2: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member. Who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the story box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box. I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.